0: Welcome to Lunch Money, episode 69. Uh, We are your online and social media home for corporate workouts, uh, special situations, and capital-raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I am the fund manager here at Hermes Capital, and I am your Lunch Money host. Uh, We've got a very exciting uh, guest today. Um, I'm going to introduce him right away. Uh, He is Mike House. G'day, Mike. How are you doing?
1: I'm well, thanks, Nick. How are you?
0: I'm very well indeed, Mike. You are a trusted twenty-year veteran of survival instruction and change management. Um, I'm pretty sure I've, you're sitting in Perth, and I'm in Sydney here, and we just talked about how lucky you are to uh, to be living mm. large. Um, but uh, I, I have seen you speak somewhere in Perth, and I'm not sure it was at a corporate. It was at a conference. And I just don't remember which one it was. But tell me, what uh, what has been keeping you busy this past week? What does what a day in the life of uh, Mike House look like?
1: There's a lot of variety in it these days, Nick. So um, the, over the last week, I've been working with a couple of major government agencies on some emergency response stuff at a state level, which has been pretty interesting. Uh, doing a little bit of work with a couple of executive teams just around how do we deal with the levels of uncertainty in the mix at the moment? And there's plenty of that going on. And then a little bit of one-on-one coaching with a few senior leaders as well. So it's, it's been a pretty diverse and interesting week.
0: So, so you you work with uh, government and, and corporates. I mean, who, 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 what does your typical uh, uh, client look like?
1: So there's, uh, again, it's pretty diverse. There's It's probably the easiest bucket is leadership teams but uh yeah I do stuff across government agencies I've got a few publicly listed businesses in the mix a number of private firms and then part of my background as well was working in not for profit in the change management space so got a number of uh, not for profit agencies that I work with as
0: well and what are some of the challenges that uh, say a not pro- not-for-profit would face in terms of change management is it a, what 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 does that mean in the in the not-for-profit space
1: um right at the minute particularly in disability and aged care you would i'm sure you've seen some of the media there around the national disability insurance scheme and uh, royal commissions into aged care and into disability they're in a very very interesting world at the moment so they've gone from a, a environment of very, very certain funding that came in every sort of six months or quarterly or annually, depending on funding program. And so not much need to actively get out and hustle for business. And in the new environment, funding's attached to individuals and individuals have a high degree of control over how it gets spent. So they're in a totally different commercial reality to what they've been used to. And for many of them, it's causing real tension to grab easy cash flow rather than to be really clear about purpose and trajectory. And particularly the older organisations, some of them are really wrestling with that at the moment. And, um, you know, it's, it's territory that commercial space has been playing in forever, but it's a very, very different reality for them.
0: Now you've made the journey from uh, outdoor survival uh, training, uh, which mm. you were doing for twenty years, and and you've um, yeah. you've then taken that into change management uh, and mm. leadership. So what what uh yeah. tell me a little bit about you know what your life was as a as a uh, survival trainer and how 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 those learnings translate to that change management uh, scenario.
1: Yeah, great question. So the my my pinnacle job as a survival instructor we used to run a 10-day program where a group of around eight to 10 people would walk 200 kilometers in the Pilbara that's a uh, thousand odd 1800 odd k's north of Perth um, arid area very very harsh hot in the summertime cold in the winter time and very dry and they'd walk back 200 k's with a soapbox size survival kit a couple of liters of water to start and whatever clothes they were standing up in, and my job really was to keep on shaking the cage, you know, to to get them as unsettled and uncertain as possible, and create as much duress as possible. So um, <laughs> that that was a lot of fun, you know. I'm I'm the yeah. <laughs> I'm the bastard behind the scenes pulling the levers to make life hard. And uh, what I realised one day it was actually some of the inspiration behind my first book, which is Thrive and Adapt up the back here. Um, I was sitting on a rock out in the Pilbara once and I I realised that the work I was doing in change management and the work I was doing in survival was actually the same type of work. It was just pushing and pulling in different directions. So in survival, my job was to create the uncertainty and in change management, it's like, how can I create a sense of certainty when everything's moving? And I think that that's a really, um, you know, the topic of my second book, Unshakeable, is, is really how can leaders create a sense of certainty that's internal to the organisation and the teams in it and to some degree the individuals when everything around is quite unpredictable and shifting and changing. And in many ways, we can't know all the answers. Um, and really that comes down to it's a lot about mindset and how we interact with each other at a leadership level and an engagement level rather than looking to the circumstances for certainty
0: it's interesting uh you know when you you talk about trekking 200 kilometers through uh, through mm. the Pilbara uh, i mean when you mm. say through the Pilbara I mean it's more like on the Pilbara I mean the pilbara <laughs> it's not you're not going through anything are you i mean it's it's a lot of red <laughs> rock and dirt Um, yeah did you ever did you ever nearly lose anybody you know it is a survival training so there must be times when people think that they're they're, you know they're on their last ever training course
1: (laughs) that's a great question that it's every now and then people would say what's your success rate as a survival instructor and i think if it wasn't 100 it'd be false advertising really i um you can imagine leaping out of the bushes with Ten people saying, "G'day, I'm Mick, your survival instructor. I've got a 98 percent success rate. I wouldn't go down too well." Yeah. Um, so their experience of how much duress they were under was was probably greater than what they actually were. You know, in that environment, it's really important to keep people safe and to bring them home. So um, my job was to kind of push those levels of of things like fatigue, duress hydration as far as was safe but no further than that but i've certainly been myself and around other people that have been in situations where where death could potentially be an outcome of what you're currently doing and and that's certainly pretty interesting space i've i've faced a few situations where i thought i wasn't going to make it through so um they're pretty interesting in terms of the the sort of psychology of that
0: Wow. It's interesting, um, you talked there, you said that people, you know, I'm imagining that I'm on one of your courses, uh, you know, hmm. and we're traipsing through the desert, and I think I'm about to die. You said that there's this perception of how much duress you're under versus how much duress you're really under. Um, and I'm wondering if that's, if that's sort of a book chapter or something, because I'm wondering, you know, going through this pandemic, you know, we, we, Think it's terrible to some extent. There's a lot of stuff that is terrible, but um, yeah. is part of coping with it actually uh, making the realization of you know it's how bad it really is versus how bad it, it really isn't? If I've probably expressed yeah, that look, a,
1: there's a big piece, Nick, in how we perceive things. You know, we're human beings are machines of perception, really, so how we experience our reality is largely what happens between our ears it's it's a lot of it's in our head and how we how we frame our perception and how we're able to shift it is actually a really essential skill and uh i know in your promo for this in the conversation we had leading up to we were talking about the stockdale paradox so you know one of stockdale was a prisoner of war during the vietnam era and jim collins um, brought his story really into the spotlight in his book, Good to Great. And, uh, you know, Stockdale, Stockdale spoke about this need to balance uh, an absolute unshakable optimism or faith in the fact that you would prevail in the end with a need to confront the brutal facts of your reality, whatever they might be. And I, th- I think one of the games that, we need to get really, really good at in this kind of space is to fully acknowledge what the potential consequences of what we're facing are. And, and that's not always pretty. You know, I, I know here in Perth, there are businesses in some sectors that are still really struggling. Generally, our economy is doing pretty well, but you know, there are some businesses really, really struggling. They're hanging, it's like they're hanging on to the monkey bar and it's like, how, how long can I hold? And at what point should I let go? For them to ignore the fact that they're in fairly dire circumstances would be foolish. You know, it's not, it's not good strategy to just go, she'll be right, we'll get through this. Blind optimism is actually quite dangerous. Um, but you don't wanna lose track of the fact that we can get through it. So part of that's about taking a broader view. You know, we can look back on the arc of human history and go, you know, unprecedented was a word that got trotted around a lot last year. Yeah. and it's i don't believe it actually is unprecedented there's been plenty of times through human history where the the world or the majority of it has been involved in really dire situations it's just this happens to be the first one in living memory yeah so you kind of take that long view and there's plenty of evidence that we get through stuff
0: Well, when you say unprecedented, I mean, unprecedented would be buzz bombs flying into London in 1944, you know, or, you know, the Germans sort of breaking through Belgium, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there is certainly an element of context there. I'm interested, you talk about businesses... Uh, you know, hanging on on the monkey bars there, uh, which, hmm. um, and, and I know you've got that in Perth, believe me, here on the East Coast, you know, in Victoria and New South Wales and obviously in particular. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's pretty dire. One of the Absolutely. interesting scenarios, yeah, I mean, we've got this thing where I was looking at some stats uh, yesterday, actually, or the day before, and I actually created some charts. I should have had them ready for today. But we're looking at the number, that I was graphing um, uh, corporate Uh, restructuring you know Mm. for the last five years and it's taken a huge dive there hasn't been a lot of business failure in the last 12 months because there's been the government support and the banks have not been uh, taking any action etc but there you have businesses that are business owners at the best of times stick their head in the sand and that's that's I'm sure that's mm. a, a well-studied phenomenon by someone like yourself. Um, yeah. But right now they're living in this sort of, air, you know, they're getting no one's chasing them. You know, the banks don't want to be seen to be chasing businesses. The ATO is mm. not chasing them. They're getting mm. job saver or job keeper or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, how do you approach that? But but at some point, you know. The, the gate's going to come up and the ball's going to come charging into the ring I mean how do you how do you talk to someone in that scenario
1: so I think for me it's about it's about that realistic assessment of what you face and one of the challenges for humans is that we tend to we like certainty so that means that we tend to make stories up to fill the gaps if we don't if we don't know enough about what's going on we we fill those gaps and it it's smart I think to be really very realistic about what's happening and I know you had a conversation with Michael Ford from Castaway Forecasting a few weeks back and you know he and I have lots of interesting conversations about scenario planning and forecasting it's none of that stuff is about trying to predict the future because inevitably the the scenarios you hatch will be somehow deviant from what actually happens but the process of mentally unpacking what's the absolute worst case scenario and how would i deal with it um, and then what are what are some variations on that
0: Can I, think... I just wanna, look, can i just put a place mark in that because that that is yeah. beautiful what you've just said there because that, that that's exactly you know, obviously you and michael ford must talk a lot because we michael Obviously, he's in the forecasting business with his financial forecasting mm. uh, platform, and uh, anybody watching this should uh, link back to uh, the discussion that we had a couple of months ago. Um, but he said that forecasting, it's exactly what you just said. It's not about predicting the future. It's about um, you, you know yeah. uh, mapping out various scenarios, and, and hopefully yes. it's one of those scenarios that's unfolded. So can you dive a little bit deeper into that for us?
1: Yeah, um, look, to give you a really practical example, um, I'm working in a few weeks on a, on a state level natural disaster exercise. So we're putting a scenario together to run a number of organisations through, and they'll be a mix of government agencies and private and publicly listed businesses the scenario we're playing out is pretty much a worst case scenario, natural disaster in a region of WA. And, you know, there's no, there's no reason why that scenario couldn't happen. So far it hasn't in history, but there's, there's actually nothing stopping it from happening. When we get into that, Exercise. There'll be some people who want to argue the detail. You know, they'll go, "Oh, that's that's unrealistic." Or, "What if it's you know X amount of rain versus Y amount of rain?" And um, you know, they'll want to fight over the individual details. And the importance of scenario planning is actually not about that. It's it's more about how, what does this highlight for us? So, if you're in a business at the moment that's kind of hanging on to the bar, and you're wondering how long then you know in my mind it's pretty prudent to go okay so if this doesn't stop you know we at the moment our latest narrative is around the sort of 70 to 80 percent vaccinated and some of the freedoms that that'll bring i'm not convinced necessarily that that's any different to some of the previous narratives like you know we'll be out of this by christmas or easter or some of the other time frames that have been put on COVID over the Eighteen odd months we've been in the game. Um, I reckon it's sensible to to contemplate that worst case scenario and go, what would that look like, and what would we have to do? It's it's hard. It's hard to do. You know, it's um, it's painful to do that, but it yeah. gives you a sense of liberation and mental agility. I reckon to contemplate those things.
0: I want to Um, ask you... I grew up
1: in farming and a lot of the old farmers used to say, you know, plan for the worst, expect the best and then accept what happens. And I think that's pretty good advice too.
0: Okay. Um, Firstly, I just want to remind our live uh, viewers that they can ask a question and if they ask a good question, uh, we will send them uh, one of our Lunch Money Bugs. Uh, we've got a bunch of them uh, lined up ready to send out for when uh, when our staff are back. Um, when we were speaking earlier in the week about that uh, Stockdale paradox, um, mm. can you just dive into that a little bit more? Because, you know, wh- wh- you were saying that you're concerned about when we hit 80%, when we hit not, whatever it might be. And so we've yeah. got this, wow, you know, like I was I was talking to my my personal trainer earlier this morning. He said, yep, the 18th of October, right? But and and so we yep. we we're putting this date in our mind, and and you were concerned yep. about about that. Just can you just tease out some of those Stockdale paradox uh, learnings? Originally? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So so when Collins interviewed Stockdale, he asked him, um, you know, Stock well Stockdale was first off talking about how you couldn't ever lose faith in the fact that you would prevail in the end, in some way, and then. Collins asks him who were the people who didn't survive and, and Stockdale very quickly answered it was the optimists. And you can imagine the, hang on a minute, didn't you just say you needed to be optimistic? And that's when Stockdale made this point about, you know, you've got to balance the that sort of optimism, that faith that you will prevail with confronting the brutal facts of your reality. And he, he said, and this has been borne out in a lot of the, Survival literature and research around you know people who survive against the odds. They they're very very careful to look at the bits that are within their control. So as soon as we start to do things like you know COVID will be done and dusted by Easter, COVID will be done and dusted by Christmas. Uh, we'll be able to travel again by whenever um, you know if we get to eighty percent vaccination. What, in my mind, these are all attempts of humans to try and fill the gap of uncertainty. So if I can put a date on something, if I can say by the 18th of October, X will happen, that gives me a sense of comfort and certainty. But the risk of it is, if the 18th of October passes and nothing changes and or it gets worse, then that's actually an erosion of hope. So each time that each time you pass an arbitrary marker it's like we get weighed down again um, you know the people who who are handling lockdown i've spoken to a lot of people in new south and in and in victoria who are in you know their sixth lockdown in in vic and they're saying you know if you come at that from the point of view of our last lockdown was the la- was the last one we were ever going to experience then the next one is a, is a mental assault Whereas if you came at it from the point of view of we might have to do this again, then it's sort of not a surprise and you're, you're mentally better prepared for it. So I think there's a there's a risk of arbitrary numbers where we attach undue certainty to it. You know, 70 to 80 percent and, and uh, vaccination passports and all of that may well turn out to be a reality and fantastic if it does. But in my mind, I'm also going, OK, what if that's not true? What if we hit that point and the reality is this is still grinding on and the freedoms that we hope for actually aren't there? I've got to be prepared to deal with that too.
0: I think it's interesting um, that you, you, you said the erosion of, did you say the erosion of confidence? I think you may have the said. The erosion of hope. Of hope, the erosion of hope. It's interesting, you know, in yeah. in sales, I've done a lot of sales training and there's this, hmm. this thing where you you drip feed good news because if I give you a little piece of good news early in our conversation, and then I drip feed you a little bit more good news, and your 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 expectation is, oh, I wonder what 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 other piece of good. But if I if I don't give you all the bad news up front, you know, this is going to cost X. It's going to, you know, these yeah. are all this is, these are all the pain points. I need to give you all of those in one go. Because otherwise, if I if I give you a pain point now, and then a pain point in five minutes, instead of you focusing mm. on the good stuff, you're thinking, hang on a minute why didn't you say that earlier and what's you're yeah. only thinking about the next bad thing. You know, you, 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 yes. you, are now listening out for the next uh you know, the next gotcha or whatever it might be. There's a little bit of a, a crossover there in that, in that psychology, just going back to the Stockdale thing. um, mm. Is there any sort of cross reference with who was the guy um, that, that Stephen Covey talked about? Frankel? Uh, yes. Have you ever yeah, of,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah yep. Lots of cross reference. So, if, so Frankel, well, I think you know you can sum up, just for people that don't know, Frankel, he, uh, uh, he was incarcerated in Nazi Germany in one of the concentration camps. He was a doctor, so he did a lot to try and keep uh, keep people happy and safe and well to the degree that he could under those very, very challenging circumstances. And uh, he, he ultimately wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning where he said the people who were able to hang on to their sense of self and to choose their response to their circumstances were the ones that did the best. And um, one of my favorite quotes for him is, you know, the last human freedom is the ability to choose how we respond to what's happening to us. Um, mm. That it's pretty really? powerful, you know. For me, these yeah. are great frames of reference for what we're going through right now because, you know, I look at Stockdale's experience, I look at Frankel's experience, there's others as well. There's there's a number of people in that kind of space that have, that have experienced the deepest, darkest pieces of what humans can do to each other and yeah. certainly really, really challenging times physically, emotionally, psychologically. And they're all kind of saying the same thing, you know. It's my headspace that made the difference. And if I'm, if I'm looking to external circumstances, then I'm going to be on flimsy ground because they're, they're relatively unpredictable. Um, the, the level of certainty is, is not high. And so if I look to that for certainty, then I'm, I'm on shaky ground
0: can i uh, can you can i just i should just quickly repeat that that ultimate learning of Frankel's just one more time i think it's very powerful in the in these times
1: yeah so he he said the ultimate freedom of a human is their ability to choose their response to their circumstances
0: yeah, I think that uh, yeah. So so Covey talks about it, his first uh, habit of successful people is uh, responsibility. is choosing the response, isn't it? And uh, so I guess yeah. that's where he talks about Frankel. And you know, we could. It's it's interesting. I mean, I've God knows I've put on the kilos since this thing started. But we could su- <laughs> sit at home eating tubs of ice cream and ordering pizza, or we yeah. could make the time useful. You know. I, now, I, now, just uh, but I would say to any viewers, if you've got a question. Um, fire them in Uh, and I say that because we always get lots of questions just after we say goodbye so get your questions in before we say goodbye Um, what I wanted to ask you was a couple of things firstly um, you I just you say I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here where it says in survival Mm. scenarios people learn a massive amount about themselves their habits and their primeval reactions and I wonder if you can mm. talk about that again, just in the in the um, context of say a small business owner who's who's going through this.
1: Yeah. So look, one of the one of the fundamental reactions that we've got completely hardwired into us, Nick, is that ancient fight or flight reaction, and you know that's that's designed for dealing with immediate short term genuine threats to life so it's you know the the warring tribe from over the hill storming our village or the saber-toothed tiger um in our modern context it works really well if someone you know tries to take our take our wallet in a car park or um you know we're in the midst of a pile up on the freeway that that reaction's really really good but a lot of the evidence and data around it says that it shows up even in relatively mundane situations. You know, even something as, as safe as you and I talking here, when we start the conversation, there'll be a little bit of fight or flight active for you as you go, well, I hope this works out well. And for me, it's like, gee, you know, I hope there's not going to be any questions that, <laughs> um, that I can't answer. And we're, we're in that kind of little tic-tac all of the time. The problem with fight or flight is that it, it makes us measurably more stupid. Part of, the, part of its purpose is to shut our frontal cortex down because thinking is too slow in a genuinely life-threatening situation. Um, so what that tends to mean is, you know, we might be more aggressive than we would be otherwise or more avoidant than we would be otherwise in a situation like an ongoing grind of COVID. We our adrenal response will be higher than it than it needs to be for the actual physicality of what we're facing. And all of that can result in less clear thinking. Where you know. So, the, so how, the how, of how, yep.
0: So how do you climb out of that? I'm thinking about um, you know, I've done the Myers-Briggs thing and uh yeah. you know, I tend to I tend to yeah, my under stress, I'm emotional as opposed to rational, right? So and yeah. I, I suppose you know. So that, I can't remember what Brian Myers' brig type that makes me, but but you you know this is more or less what you're talking about. I guess it's the red mist. Yes. Um, I mean, the trouble is that it's you know you're not really aware that you're in this situation. You're sort of almost not even you're not thinking that you're not thinking. If you know what I mean? Yes. So that, how, yeah, how, how do you climb out of that?
1: So there's there's a few things that we can do um, in thrive and adapt, and a lot of the workshops around resilience that I do. I teach people a very, very simple three-part tactic for getting out of that space that can be used any time we make a transition. So if we're going into, an, into another meeting or uh, we're transitioning out of that into traffic and into and out of home, it, it applies at any of those points and it's, it kind of gets us back into a more settled, clear, present and focused state. Uh, So it's got three steps. The first step is to take three long, slow, rhythmic breaths. And the rhythm is the most important part of that. Rhythmic breathing literally shuts down all of the physiology of fight or flight. We can't breathe rhythmically and be in that state at the same time. And straight away, if you take rhythmic breaths, you notice that your level of mental clarity and your sense of calmness and being in control increases the second step is to say how you feel out loud and if you can do it out loud that's good sometimes that's not appropriate or possible you know you don't want to be walking into a hostile business negotiation going i feel a little anxious um (laughs) probably not a good plan you (laughs) just do it in your mind But if you can do it out loud, there's something about the speed of speaking versus thinking that is very useful and effective in this space too. And that just acknowledges the emotional content of whatever we're currently in. It's not about getting into the story of the emotion. It's, It's just quarantined, I feel happy, sad, angry, anxious, whatever it happens to be. And then the third thing is to say, what's my intention? for what i'm focused on right now so if i came out of um you know say immediately prior to this i'd had a very difficult performance management conversation with somebody and then i've got to be focused on this call then i could take those three breaths and you know i might feel frustrated or angry or uh, disappointed from that conversation my intent here is to convey what I know in the with the greatest clarity that I can, and so it just helps me transition from one thing to another. And if I do that through all of the transitions that I make, it's a it's a very very good way of keeping yourself out of that reactive space.
0: Okay, so uh, three three uh, rhythmic breaths. Uh, state how you're feeling and uh, what is my intention. Now we've got a question here from Ryan Hodges uh ryan asks on your website for thrive and adapt book you talk about the idea hmm. that they do relentlessly actions that set the scene for success assuming you are talking about leaders can you please talk through the good examples you have seen in relation to this piece please so yes yeah,
1: so i think great question thanks ryan the there's layers of this so you know at, a, at the layer layer of our own individual success we've already hinted at a few of those nick with you talking about one reaction to covid could be sit on the couch and eat a heap of ice cream and tim tams um so one of the things that we can do is look after our own habits of success physically you know so i know that there's certain things that i can eat sleep patterns that i can adopt uh, morning mindfulness routines those kinds of things that actually set my day up for a greater probability of success. And then when it comes to leading business, you know, we, we talked offline as well, Nick, about the notion of command, the narrative, so intentionally telling the story of who we are as a business and as a team and how we do our work and particularly for the moment how we're facing the, the current reality around us. Um, good leaders are very, very good at continuously building a sense of psychological safety for their team. So, you, you know, we can operate together in uh, in effective ways without uh, too much risk of blame games, ego, gossip, um, undermining each other. They, they work really hard on that. Leadership teams will that work really effectively have robust discussion leading up to a decision. And then once a decision is made, one of the leaders I interviewed for Unshakable said it's like there's no once the decision's made, it's like there's no daylight between us. We are hundred percent aligned.
0: Right. So there's
1: that sort of guarantee of we we actively are supporting each other out there once we're on the backside of a decision.
0: Can can you give an example without necessarily naming names? You know, I've often, mm. I know this is only sort of, this is a little bit obtuse, but, you know, I often thought yeah. that the, the Roy and HG, I yeah, yeah. You, you're right, those guys never criticised each other. They never, they were, there was never negative. They were always reinforcing each other and calling each other brilliant. And I know that was part yeah. of the shtick, but I think sure. it was also, you know, those guys, I mean, they're still going now. And, you know, they were around a long time and it was always, mm. they were always building each other up. Again, I know it was yeah. part of the routine, but I'm also sure it's part of their, the secret of their success as well. Um, so, have yeah. you got? Can you think of an example where you're talking about that? I guess at the end, there's not a paper, you know, dis- difference when people are making those critical decisions.
1: Yeah, um, look, there, there's a number. Of, I, I interviewed around about twenty leaders for the Unshakable book, and a number of those spoke about. Um, a couple of things, so so one was the ability to celebrate success and have a disposition of gratitude, whatever was going on, and that kind of, you know, echoes really strongly back to Stockdale and to Viktor Frankl as well, that sort of sense of, you know, however difficult this is, we we feel a sense of gratitude for what we're doing and for the people around us. Um, this, and then the second thing is that... that, that they build levels of trust so that when we're having debate, you know, I, I, can, I can call you on your opinion or point of view on something, but I do that in a way that we're actually talking about the opinion or point of view rather than I'm criticising you. Right. And there's, right. a, there's a sense of what we're trying to do is make our decision more robust, not fight each other. Right, and then you know, if we do that well, then at the point that we actually go out and execute that decision, while the decision might be different to what I would have personally chosen, and I might, I might not necessarily fully, um, fully agree with how it's been made, I will completely back it. And it's that it's that real discipline to say, okay, right, we've right, decided, right, right, you, right. you know, the, I guess the opposite of, of it is you see organisations where you know we'll get together as a leadership team, we'll discuss something,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: and at face value we all agree. We go, yep, that's decision made. We agree, but then out in the corridors we're going, oh bloody hell, you know, here we go again. We've been steamrolled by somebody or we'll go back to the team that we lead and we'll say, look, I went into bat back for you, fellas. You know, we tried, but bloody management's overridden us again and now we've got to wear this crap. And it, it's essentially seeding messages of discord and disagreement. Um, All right, listen, and that listen, result in us pointing the finger at each other and going, the problems we're facing are, you know, because of these other idiots, not us.
0: Well, the other thing and is, of course, exactly. that if you're if you're, trying to, if, if you're trying to lead a team... And they think yeah. that the you know the two leaders are divided. You know they they can then all yeah. pick teams within a team. Look, we we the, the clock is running down severely, and you know I'm going to make an exception. We're going to go for an extra couple of minutes because there's two things I absolutely have to ask you. One yeah. is um, you talk about incomplete information. So when you were, yeah. I think this is possible. Well, actually, it's in your latest LinkedIn post. So go to go, yeah, you know, go to Mike's. Um, a LinkedIn feed, and in your latest LinkedIn post, you talk about incomplete information is a permanent feature of our current reality. Sometimes it's a product yeah. of complexity. Um, there's so much to understand. Can you just, you know, in in a nutshell, just t- tell us something um, about that incomplete information, and maybe how you know small business people are are in this pandemic, you know, um, and how, how that that concept works.
1: Yeah. So, look, this was probably the biggest lever I had at my disposal as a survival instructor was I'd give people accurate but incomplete information, and because humans are storytelling machines, really, we you know we can't help but create narrative. We uh, we fill the gaps. If we don't know the answer, we fill the gaps, and you know this loops back to some of the stuff we've been talking about regarding the COVID situation. Where you know we'll clutch at things like seventy to eighty percent, or a, or the eighteenth of October, or those kinds of potential milestones, where you know the evidence isn't necessarily there, or the picture's not complete. You know, part of the challenge with the seventy to eighty percent is all the modelling for that is is around that I'm aware of at least, is around, um, you know, impacts on the medical system on, and on hospitals and death rates and things like that. It's, it's not really looking at the full freedoms of movement and things like that that we were used to prior to COVID. So, you know, there's, there's calls being made on incomplete information. We can't help but fill the gaps. And I I think it's worth being consciously aware of what do we know for sure, and where where are we sort of painting in between the the actual evidence to create a sense of complete story and certainty.
0: Look, we are out of time. I know. I've seen people in action on whiteboards um, look at stuff, and there's a bunch of stuff we don't know. But making you know, there, there is a fine art to making educated guesses as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but we could, I'm sure we could talk about that. Look, we are, we are running out of time. I, um, I'm interested in your two books. Where can people get them and um, how, how are they different?
1: Um, so if they jumped onto my website, which is just mikehouse.com.au, both books are available there. Uh, Thrive and Adapt is primarily about tactics at a sort of individual level to deal with uncertainty and pressure. And unshakable is really addressed to leaders and leadership teams about the territory we've been talking about today. How do you create a sense of certainty when everything around you is uncertain? So that's the that's the difference between the two.
0: Fantastic. Well, we will put a link to mikehouse.com.au uh, in the socials when we do a summary uh, of today's episode. So you'll see those on uh on Facebook, LinkedIn and uh, on YouTube. Uh, And I will remind, having said that, I will remind everybody to uh, share, like and subscribe uh, to our podcast. Mike, uh, just uh, any sort of closing words.
1: Nick, thanks very much for the invite. And, yeah, I guess the last thing I would say is that it's time spent thinking about what future possibilities might look like, both good and bad, is never time wasted. Just don't get locked into any of them as being this is certainly what will happen.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, that's a great way to finish up, Mike. Uh, I'm very grateful to you for coming on. It's been fascinating. I was very excited from when I first saw your website when uh, when Michael Ford said you really should talk to Mike House. So uh, it's been a privilege to have you on. Thank you very much to all of our viewers uh, live and to our podcast listeners. Um, and we'll do it all again next week. Cheers.